And let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, for the last two weeks, we've been looking at God's grand design for marriage. On week one, we looked at God's purpose for marriage, how he's ordained it um, biblically to be. And then the week after that, knowing that the pattern for marriage is that men and women are different. Last week, the men had a hardcore time just looking at what it is to be a godly husband. And I thank you, ladies, for your encouragement. I thank you for the high fives and loud amens I had throughout the service. But this week, we're addressing you. The wives are on. So we'll see if you're still amening and high-fiving at the end of this message. So Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Lord, would you help me? Amen. That's all we've got time for, so let's crack on. Listen, when I was about 11 years old, I I got involved in a bit of swimming. I got involved in a bit of diving, but I actually decided that I really hated diving really quickly. But I got involved in a bit of swimming, and then I decided I hated that because I hated water. But before I decided I was just pulling out of all swimming activities, I did a life-saving certificate. I was 11 years old, and I still remember it vividly. Uh, You had to dress up in pajamas for some reason. I don't know why, but I thought, this is great. Put your pajamas on and go swimming freaky let's do it so i put my pajamas on and you do these lengths you seem to go for miles doing these extensive swims in your pajamas and one of the things that you had to do to get the certificate was you had to put two pairs of pajamas on why two i only know but two pairs of pajamas on and you would stand at the deep end of the pool and they would throw a rubber brick in and you had to retrieve the brick now i still remember it vividly just thinking i'm going to die on the way down so I got there in my, in my two pairs of pajamas. They put the rubber brick down, and it sank all the way to the bottom so that you could barely see it. And I remember very clearly standing over the edge of the deep end, looking down at this brick with two things going through my mind. One, trepidation of, please don't make me go down there. And two, just excitement, thinking if I can do this, if this is really going to help. This is going to enable me to get my certificate. Well, as I've prepared for this message today to address the ladies, I feel like the 11-year-old again, standing at the deep end of the pool with the same trepidation and with the same excitement that I felt then at 11 years old. I mean, there is a degree of trepidation when we come to this text. And as I peer over the edge of it, 
Um, I feel that trepidation. You see, this text, it has the S word in it. Submission. And that makes me nervous because submission in our society, in our age of liberation, is almost anathema. It's like, could you, how could you possibly bring up that word? How, how rude, how dominating, how chauvinistic, how oppressive. And so for a pastor, when you start to get to this text and you realize, oh, it says the word submit like a few times, you're aware that there's a degree of trepidation of addressing this because so often in our communities and our cultures, This word has been twisted, it's been misunderstood, it's been taken out of context. This text in particular, I think, has been sadly hijacked by too many domineering men. It's been hijacked by men that do want to dominate their wives, that are looking at their wives and saying, you ain't going to Coles without asking me, you aren't doing anything without asking me. And when she says, well, can I not have independent thoughts? No, I'm the head of this home, you should submit. It's been taken out of context and abused, and misused, and misrepresented. And so there's a degree of trepidation, knowing that this text has been perverted, knowing it's been abused, knowing that even in the mention of the word then, you can be taken out of context, and misunderstood, and yourself then called chauvinistic yourself. But there's also a degree of excitement. And that's because in this text, the word submission, properly understood, I think is completely liberating. See, submission isn't a negative thing. In all the 40 times in the New Testament when it's talked about, (coughs) it's always a very positive thing. It's always a good thing given to us by God for a specific reason. And the genuine article of wifely submission, I think, is something that will bring immeasurable benefit to our marriages and indeed great honor to Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel. It's a good thing. It's something we want. It's something that's clearly there. So we need to understand it in its context And we need to understand what exactly (coughs) it is. And so really feeling both trepidation and excitement, the way I want us to go forward with this message is as follows. It doesn't take long, ladies, to realize what your role is. Okay, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to this. You can be four years old. You just read verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Dave, what are you trying to say? We don't have to be Greek experts on this. That's what it is. That's your role. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And yet, given today's cultural misunderstandings of that and misrepresentations of that, the way I've devised this message is really into four questions. Four questions that you're probably going to want to ask me afterwards. So I thought, well, let's just beat you to it and ask it during the message rather than afterwards. So number one, whose idea was this anyway? Number two, what is biblical submission? Number three, are there any exceptions? Because everybody thinks they're an exception, right? And number four, how does a godly wife cultivate a submissive heart towards their husband? So number one, whose idea was this anyway? Well, here's the thing. I quite like a bit of conspiracy theory. Always quite enjoyed it. But you need to understand, ladies, if you are married, there is no conspiracy theory when it comes down to the issue of submission and why you are to submit to your husbands. A group of male chauvinists have not at some point got together and thought, right, we'll teach them. Um, Let's just stick in the Bible and overwrite what was already there. That is not what has occurred. Paul and Peter haven't got together and said, right, these women, they keep talking. Let's shut them up. That is not the idea of dominating men just to write it in for fun. That's not the way it is. Likewise, your husbands haven't come up with this idea, okay? So when they sit there and say, 
Lali, it would be helpful if you'd be a bit more submissive. And you say, who do you think you are? Well, just somebody who's repeating the Bible. Okay, they have not come up with this. It has not been given by them to come up with this task. No, submission is God's idea. Submission is something that God has given us. It is his divine order for the role within marriage. He has decreed it. It's not come from men. It's not come from domineering men. They have indeed twisted it. But it has come without question from God. And if we're going to understand submission, (coughs) one of the things we have to understand very quickly is that submission is a role, submission as a role, is a role that is represented in the Godhead. That's really important. Because you lose sight of that, then this doesn't even make sense. We lose sight of everything. But submission as a role is represented in the very character of God. Dr. Wayne Grudem says it this way. says, the idea of headship and submission never began. It has always existed in the eternal nature of God himself. And in this most basic of all authority relationships, authority is not based on gifts or abilities. It is just there. The relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one of leadership and authority on the one hand and voluntary, willing, joyful submission to that authority on the other hand. We can learn from this that submission to a rightful authority is a noble virtue. It is something good and desirable. It is the virtue that has been demonstrated by the eternal Son of God forever. It is his glory, the glory of the Son, as he relates to his Father. Like that? The idea of headship and submission, it never began. It has always been there in the Godhead. It has always existed between the Trinity, between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Submission and headship has always existed in the way they respond to one another and the way they act to one another in their roles towards one another. And that roles has obviously not been based on gifts or abilities. God the Father doesn't just turn up and say, well, the problem with you, Jesus, is you're a bit, you suck a bit. You know, you're not very gifted or abilities, so I'll take the headship role and you take the lesser role. That's, that's not what he's done. It's just a very different role in the way they respond together and they communicate and they live together. There's a position of authority and there's a position of following, even in the Godhead. Mark Chansky, in his book, Womanly Dominion, which I think is a good book, he says, let's reason together scripturally. <coughs> Excuse me. Is it denigrating for the Son of God to assume a position of submission under the authority of the Father? Did it degrade his divine person when he said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me? No. The Son's humble submission under the Father's authority is the essence of his praiseworthy glory. Philippians 2 tells us as follows. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being made into the likeness of men. For a woman who rejects the mind of the world and puts on the mind of Christ, it is counted a great honor to follow in the submissive footsteps of the servant-hearted Son of God. But there's no more prestigious role in the world than humbly occupying the position and performing the role assigned by one's heavenly father. 
For this is what it means to be Christ-like. The way of humility is the road to glory. So dear Christ-loving women, regardless of what abuse the feminists heap on you, stay at your posts. Regardless of how shrill their screams become, play your position. The concept and the role of submission did not originate with men. It originated with God. And as a role, it is represented in the Godhead. Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, who is in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. What's up with that? Because they are equal, right? Yes, in value, in dignity, in worth, in ability, without a doubt. But they differ in role. There's a head. And there's one who's responding. Even in the Godhead, there's a difference in role within the very Trinity which we claim we worship. No one looks at Jesus and says, well, clearly then you must lack ability, be lacking intelligence, and be very weak. No one's saying that. But that's what the feminists are leading us to believe about biblical womanhood in terms of submissive role towards a husband. That those things are rubbish. Well, then we have to say, if these things are reflected in the Godhead, it's rubbish in Jesus as well. What a poor saviour, poor thing, having to submit to God the Father in that way. It's crazy, but it's the feministic thinking that's come in even on biblical manhood and womanhood and twisted it as if to say equal in worth and value and dignity must equal that in role. And Jesus himself at that point would put his hand up and say, well, that isn't the way it works for me. He was made in the form of God, but did not count equality with God something to be grasped and so ladies that is why it is vital that you play your positions god has made man in his image male and female if all females then just start to take on the male role there is going to be something very minimal of what people are going to see in our world in terms of the way the godhead is revealed in his character because no longer is there a submissive role No longer is there a part of a Godhead role where someone submits. No one is revealing that to the world. That's a lady's responsibility. That's something that you have on your life that men don't have on our lives. So we must, by God's grace, play our positions masculine and feminine. Both masculinity and femininity is needed for the Godhead to be revealed to our world, to our culture, and for us to really reflect the character of God in the way we live our lives. And within marriage then, God says very specifically, listen up then. Men, you are to be the head of your home. And I'm going to paint a picture with this of you being Christ. And women... You are going to have to use the submissive role like my son uses towards me. I want you to use that submissive role as I paint a picture of the way the church responds to Jesus Christ. It is a profound mystery. And if you're thinking right now, I don't quite fully understand that, don't panic because it's a profound mystery. But some of it's been revealed. So ladies, we have to play our positions. You have to play your positions for the glory of God because as you do, you reflect something in the Godhead. Isn't that beautiful? Submission didn't originate with men. It originated with God. So number two, what is biblical submission? What is it like? Well, in the Greek, submission means to voluntarily place oneself under. To acknowledge or recognize position or authority and to subordinate. 
as I said before, 40 times in the New Testament, it's talked about. It's talked about in loads of different contexts. We're going to see some more in the next few weeks. It talks about it from children to parents. It talks about it from slaves to masters. It talks about it in Hebrews 13, from people in the church to their pastors. It talks about submission all the way through the Bible. <coughs> and every single time, it means to subordinate, to voluntarily place oneself under. But obviously, there's differences, Right? I don't believe a a child has to submit to a parent in the same way a wife does a a husband or a worker does a master. There are very big differences in the way that works. Yes, it is the same in that there is a voluntary placing of oneself under, but then it differs in the way that functions. And the best quote that I've come up with, the best definition, is John Piper's. I just think this is profound, and this is brilliant. He says this, Wifely submission is the divine calling on a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. Say that again. Wives, listen. Wifely submission, this is your role. Wifely submission is the divine calling on a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. I just think that is so helpful. It's so helpful because I think it gives us an insight into what it is how it really works, what ladies are really called to do as wives for the glory of God. But I also think it's helpful because it helps us see what submission is not. And there is a lot of rumors out there and a lot of speculation that, therefore, I've got to be submissive, so that means this. Well, often not. You see, a couple of things that submission is not. (coughs) Wifely submission does not mean that a wife is to be devoid of any independent thoughts. And ladies, if anybody tells you otherwise, tell them to read their Bibles because that is not what it means. Wifely submission does not mean that a wife has to be devoid of any independent thoughts. So she just stands behind her husband. And Do you have any thoughts, dear? No, I have no idea. No, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely insane. This is not Little House on the Prairie. This is the Bible, okay? So biblical masculinity needs to be clear, needs to be leading, needs to be sacrificial and loving. But ladies, your response to that is always intelligent. We want ladies to have independent thoughts. That is a good thing. Guys did not fall in love with you. Your husbands did not fall in love with you because you just said, I don't know, I don't know. That, did, that didn't do it for them. Okay, so it doesn't do it for them when you're married either. It's a good thing for ladies to have independent thoughts. Secondly, wifely submission does not mean that a wife is less intelligent or less competent than her husband. It does not mean that. And that is a grossly unfair thing to ever say. If you knew my wife, you would know how that is not the case in my life in so many things. She said to me yesterday, I'd like it if you could cook. And I replied, I would like it if I could cook something. You know, anything. I could burn a tin of beans. You know, it's just like there is a complete lack, a devoid gift. I mean, my wife is extremely good at communicating to our children in a way that they understand. I am... Very poor at communicating to our children. I mean, I'll say things like, you just need to humbly embrace that. (laughs) Do you understand what that means? Yes, Daddy. And Emma goes, what does it mean? Um, uh, And you think, I don't get it. Humbly embrace? How old are you? Do you have to be to understand these things? I find it harder to communicate to um, small children. So the idea that women are less intelligent and less competent, which is why they have to follow behind their husbands all the time, that's ridiculous. 
We love the fact that wives are intelligent and we love the fact that wives are competent. And if you're going to be a good helper to your husband, you want to be both intelligent and competent because there's going to be many times when he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> he has no idea. And when he comes out with things like, well, I think I'm on it, but um, so tell me what do you think. That means I have no idea. Do not know. Think of some original thoughts for me now. Help me. Also, wifely submission does not mean that a wife is weak and lacking in strength. That is, that is, that is insipid. Listen, it takes a strong wife to submit. It takes real strength to submit. It takes real strength because our culture screams at her and says, you idiot, what are you doing? Giving away your life to your husband? That is insane. A weak wife responds to the culture with, you're probably right, I'll stick with you. It takes real strength for a wife to stand against culture and say, you know what? I want to honor my husband. I want to respect my husband. I wonder what my husband thinks about this. I want to gain his counsel for my life. I look to him. He's my leader. He's my pastor. That takes real strength in the present cultural environment that we live in. So the idea that a wife is weak and lacking in strength, which is why she submits, that is not the case. Also, wifely submission does not mean that a wife is unable or forbidden to influence her husband. Now, it is wrong to manipulate your husband. It is wrong every time he makes a decision to break down in excessive tears and beg him if there's any other way. That's not helpful. But nonetheless, it is not wrong for a wife to influence her husband. It's not wrong for a wife to say, you know what, love, as your helper, um, just wondering what the plan is here with the kids because it doesn't seem too clear. And that's good. That's good. That's being a suitable helper. That's influencing him and helping him. So what submission isn't are all those things. But what submission is, is what John Piper says. It is a calling on a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. Now, it is about this point in the proceedings that I would be imagining that some are thinking, Dave, this is wonderful. So helpful for everybody else. But I, I'm sure if you knew my circumstance, you'd be aware that why this doesn't function for me, right? So, yeah, it's godly and it's helpful. And if your husband is like you said last week, oh, then I gladly would. But my husband's not. So I'm clearly the exception in these things. And the problem is lots of people always think that they're an exception. And as a pastor, I seem to spend my life with the exceptions. Every, I mean, everybody I speak to with a child that is unruly, they say, I'm sure this isn't the norm, but my child is not the norm. They are unique. The amount of unique children that I've allegedly met in my life is, is profound. Okay? They're not actually unique. They're just like everybody else. You know? Everybody has got the most strong will toddler in the world. Okay? That's the way it works. We had one as well. Oh, we had three at different points because we all have them at different points. There's nothing new under the sun. And it's the same within marriages. So maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, but you know what, Dave? God surely wouldn't expect me to submit in the situation I'm in right now. Right? Please help me. See, maybe your husband is lazy and inconsiderate. Maybe he doesn't really care about you or he doesn't communicate that very well at all. Maybe all your do husband does is watch TV and eat chips. And instead of helping you in your life, he specializes in the Xbox. Maybe your husband is irresponsible with finances 
And whenever you get the statement through, you can't believe your eyes because it's negative like every month, but you know money's gone in. So you just think, I, I can't submit to this guy. He's a fool. Look at the finances. Look at the way it's done. He's just an idiot. Maybe your husband refuses to discipline the children and take the lead with the children. And you then sit on and look at things that are just inappropriate and you're trying to care for the kids, but you think this is ridiculous. Maybe your husband is a poor leader of you. Maybe he doesn't do a good job of articulating his care for you, his love for you. Maybe he's just doing a real poor job in his leadership and doing a poor job of care for you. Maybe your husband is an unbeliever. He doesn't know Jesus. See, all of those things that can cause us then as a result to say, you know what, therefore, surely this doesn't apply to me, right? Wrong. Let's look together at who it applies to. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. There are no footnotes. There's nothing extra after it that says, well, apart from. Wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Listen, wives. There is no excuse for your husband if he is not doing a good job of leading your home. There is no excuse. And you know my heart in that. You know my support of your men in that. You know that I will give them a hard time every day of my life, if necessary, to help them lead. That is my desire. That is my commitment to you as wives. That's what I want to do. And men, if you are not leading your homes well, you've got to change. You've got to change because of everything we looked at last week you represent christ in your marriage this is a big deal it's not to be messed about with so wives if you have a husband who is not leading you there is no excuse for that however unless there is an issue of sin at stake then you are called by god in scripture to submit to that man to submit to your husband Unless there is an issue, a clear issue of sin at stake, you are called by God to submit. Now hold the applause, because I can see that's what you're thinking. Wives, you're just thinking, oh, this is the best news I've ever heard. Cheering, carrying me out on your shoulders. But listen up. (laughs) If there are sin issues involved, if there are sin issues involved, then obviously it is right not to follow. Where do we get that from? Well, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Your submission is to your husband as to the Lord. So if your husband is asking you to do something that is sinful or he is sinning against you very specifically in what he is calling you to do, (coughs) then that is without doubt a time not to follow because your submission is to the Lord. So if he's saying to you, okay, here's what we're going to do, love. Tonight we are going to rob a bank. You don't say, well, I'm called by God to submit to you in all things. It's ridiculous. You say, no, I, I cannot do this because my submission to you is as to the Lord. And the Lord clearly forbids me to do that in Scripture, so I cannot. Your submission is as to the Lord. And likewise, I'm not saying that you can't challenge your husband if there's sinful patterns. You can and you should because you are his helper. So if your husband is in sinful patterns in his life, 
I want to encourage you. You challenge him in that. You humbly, graciously, but nonetheless clearly articulate to him your concerns for him. And I thank God for times in my life when Emma's done that to me. And she will go graciously, toe-to-toe with me and get to about there. And I'm clear. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. But I appreciate those times. But my wife's disposition has never, ever been anything other than, you know what, Dave? I will go toe-to-toe to you because I think this is a sinful pattern in your life. However, what you are asking me to do is not sinful. And so I will gladly follow you. That's a disposition of a wife. That's a disposition of what God is calling you to do. So if sin issues are involved, wives, then without question, you do not respond to them and you do not do what your husband is asking you to do. But unless there is an issue of sin at stake, then you are called by God in Scripture to submit to your husbands. You are. And listen, I know that can be hard to listen to. There's various reasons why that's hard to listen to. One of the reasons is because we've seen it abused in our world. And so we've seen the husband's authority abused, so we just want to cover it all out and just put everybody on the same level in just in case. But that's not the answer. The other reason why we find it hard, particularly for ladies, is because of the fall. That was what Genesis 3 is all about. You will want over your husband. You'll want to manipulate him. The idea of just saying, okay, I trust him, is almost anathema. It it triggers something in your heart because you don't want to be out of control. You want to control it. That's Genesis 3. That's the fall. That's the effect. In the same way you feel childbirth and you feel pain in childbirth, you will feel this reaction in your heart when I'm saying these things and when I'm calling on you to do them. That's because of the fall. You will want over your husband. But you know, I'd be a poor pastor, a poor pastor to teach you anything other than this. Because this is God's word. And we can't change it. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. But we should put value on it and esteem it. Because this is his word. This is clearly what God's word teaches us. There are no footnotes. There are no bits that we say, but in this circumstance, no. We submit to our husband as to the Lord. So I'd be a poor pastor not to encourage you that way. One, because it's what the Bible teaches. And B, I would be robbing you and your husband of the dynamic and powerful force that your submission can have on his life. Do you realize, as biblically defined, the powerful and dynamic force that your submission can have on your husband? That's not pragmatics. That's 1 Peter. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, this is what he says. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. How? By the conduct of their wives. Did you hear that? Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. I submit to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, that means they're bad guys. This isn't working out. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Listen, if you are married to an unbeliever, then I trust that verse gives you hope. Because God can save people. God can win people. Situations can change in a moment. 
And this verse not only should give you hope, but I believe it should give you direction as well. You see, I think there's a temptation when we're married to an unbeliever to nag them with the gospel every day. And every day on my pillow, I'm going to communicate to you about Jesus and his love, but he just doesn't seem to be quite getting it. You know what I'm saying? There's a temptation to preach at him and nag him, to invite him to everything you can possibly get him to, and then when he says no, to try and manipulate him so that he'll come. I can understand that temptation, and if I was married to an unbeliever, I'd be doing all that. But wives, you have something else in your arsenal. There is some other weapon and dynamic gift that God has given you to win your husbands. What is it? Here. Your conduct. Your life. Your encouragement of your husband. Your respect towards him. The way you articulate towards him. The way you listen to him. The way you submit to him. As indeed your head The Bible doesn't say if your husband's an unbeliever, then don't worry about it. Just submit to somebody else. It does not say that. It says if you're married to an unbeliever, you come under him as your head, as to the Lord. And by that, here's the hope. Here's the potential power that he may be won without even a word. Listen, if that's the case for unbelieving husbands, wives, if you are married to a believing husband, then how much more hope and direction should this give you? If the power of submission can have this effect on an unbelieving husband, then how much more power and effect can have it on a believing husband? And listen, if you're married to guys like me, we're idiots. We're crazy. You know, we want to try our best to be Jesus, but so often we're aware we are like way, way, way short. If you are waiting for us to be Jesus before you respond, you've had it. You know, it's just, it ain't going to be happening. You know, we're going to try our best, but you're going to be waiting for like eternity and beyond. It's just going to take a very long time. But here's the issue. When you submit to your husband, even when he's blowing it, unless he's dragging you into sin, when you submit to that and affirm that and nurture that and affirm his leadership, and use your gifts and abilities to get behind it, even the man that is not obeying the word, he can be one without a word. Ladies, try not to nag your husbands. Try not to preach to your husbands. Try and win them without a word. Elizabeth George eloquently expresses it this way. She says, Our submission to our husband, whether or not he is a Christian, whether or not he is obeying God, preaches a lovelier and more powerful sermon than our mouths ever could. I love that. And I've had the privilege in my life of seeing ladies win their husbands this way. I've seen it. There's a wonderful story in Carolyn's book in Feminine Appeal. And in Christchurch, we saw it as well, where a lady who was effectively about to get divorced from her husband because <coughs> he just hated Christianity, he hated her, it was just all going horribly wrong, saw this verse and began to really respect him and show him respect and love him and encourage him and affirm him. And when we planted one of the churches in Merthyr, he was the first man to get baptized. She won him. She won him through her conduct. She won him through her submission and her desire to follow him and affirm him and get behind him. That is the potential of 1 Peter chapter 3. So are there any exceptions? Yes, there's one. If he's dragging you into sin, then don't follow him. But aside from that, 
wives, you're called to submit to your husbands. And I submit to you, that's a good thing. Because in doing that, you will represent the Godhead. In doing that, you will, sh- you will show your part of the parable between Christ and the church. And by doing that, you are wielding a powerful and dynamic weapon that has the potential to win their souls. So don't hold back on submission. Use it. Use it for the glory of God. So finally, number four. So how does a godly wife cultivate a submissive heart towards their husband? Well, this is something that Emma and I chatted about a lot yesterday. And so using her counsel and also God's word, there were four things that really came to a place of these are four things that will help you as a godly wife cultivate a submissive heart towards your husband. Number one, pray. Pray to God for grace. Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16, a verse that no doubt we're getting familiar with, but I will not stop until it is emblazoned on our hearts. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Ladies, if this doesn't come naturally to you, which it probably won't, because leadership which is gracious and humble and sacrificial doesn't come too easily to too many men either, then cry out to God for grace. Say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me by your grace to submit to my husband in the way that I want to submit to you. Lord, help me do this. Help me to be the lady that I'm called to be by your grace and for your glory. Cry out to God that he will help you be the bride that he has called you to be. Number two, regularly meditate on the sovereignty of God. Regularly meditate on the sovereignty of God. You know, on the face of it, you can be thinking, what the heck? Has that got to do with my submission towards my husband? Well, actually, an awful lot. Carolyn Mahaney says it this way. Submission, in its simplest form, is trusting God, who is completely trustworthy. He is our loving Father who controls every detail of our lives, past, present, and future. He lavishes us with goodness and blessing, and he measures our pain and adversity, all for our good, and his glory. The question we must answer then is, am I prepared to trust God enough to lead my husband to lead me? As Susan Hunt says, the true woman is not afraid to place herself in a position of submission. She does not have to grasp. She does not have to control. Her fear dissolves in the light of God's covenant promise to be her God and to live within her. Submission is simply a demonstration of her confidence in the sovereign power of the Lord God. Listen, ladies, submission to your husband is as to the Lord. And so submission in its simplest form is a demonstration of a trust in God. It's a demonstration of a trust in a sovereign God. It is very easy to come week after week and say, I trust in God's sovereignty. He is so good. But my husband stinks, so I'm going to manipulate that one. But the rest of the time, God is sovereign and good. And the two situations seem divorced from one another. That's not the case. 
Do you trust God's sovereignty enough to trust God to sovereignly lead your husband to lead you? If yes, then praise God for that. You understand then something of his sovereignty, something of the good shepherd's desire to ensure that you are cared for, to ensure that surely and goodness will follow you all the days of your lives. You understand something of his sovereignty even seen in your marriage. But if the answer is no, I don't. I don't trust God enough to lead my husband to lead me. Then I want to encourage you then regularly meditate on the sovereignty of God. Because primarily right now you don't have a husband issue, you have a sovereignty issue. You have an issue of God's care towards you and his protection of you and his love for you and his assistance on your lives. We need to trust in God's sovereignty. You know, one of the things I found in Australia, just in general, and in speaking to people about the culture, one of the things that Australia has about it is people seem to buck against authority. So if you say jump here, stuff you, I'm leaving. You know, there's just no sense at all of I'm going to follow that. So ladies, you've got a big problem because not only is it going to be your disposition because of your heart, it's your disposition because of your culture as well. This is going to be a fight for you to give over your lives and understand I'm, I'm going to submit to my husband because I understand even if my husband in my estimate makes a mistake, behind him lies a sovereign God who is helping me, who is aiding me. Submitting to a husband is a clear demonstration of a trust in God. And rejecting a husband, more often than not, is a rejection of the sovereignty of God and the kindness of God to you. Number three, find godly role models. That really needs no explanation, but Titus 2, which time doesn't permit to really go into, but Titus 2, we have the premise of older ladies serving younger ladies. And helping them in their love and submission to their husbands and so on and so forth. If you read it, it's, it's really powerful. Well, so clearly then here's the issue. Ladies, if you're older and mature, you need to turn yourself inward to the younger ladies and to help them. And younger ladies, you need to position yourselves to be drawing on them. <coughs> so find godly role models. Maybe you've not had a mum that has demonstrated this for you. Maybe you've not had a mum that ever submitted to your dad in, in this way. Well, then find ladies in the local church, my wife, the, role, the, the life group leaders' wives, other ladies in your life groups who are mature, and ask them, how did you grow in this? How, how does this work for you? What would you do in this situation in my life? I don't really know how to respond. This is what my husband would like me to do. What do you think? Well, I find that hard. How would you operate with that? Start to be discipled and mentored by ladies who you look up to and you think, to be honest, and listen, when I say that, that has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with age. I have met people who are 25 and I look at their marriage and I think, I want to be like that. And I've met people who are 55 who have been married 30 years and I think, I don't want to be like that. It's not an age thing. Look at people's marriages and if you discern, I want to be like that, then go and ask them how they did that. Start to, start to talk to them. Ask them. And ladies, find ladies that are older than you that will help you find role models. Number four, do all you can to show ongoing respect to your husband. Verse 33, just in closing. He says, however, 
Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The husband's role is to be characterized by love. We looked at that last week. And so Paul is using it as a grand finale expression again here. Husbands, see to it that you love your wives. Your love in your headship, in the way you sacrifice for her. You have authority, and so your authority has to be used as a servant, as a gracious, kind, loving husband who is laying his life down for his wife. That is what you're called to do by the grace of God and for his glory. And that needs to be characterized by love. But wives, listen up. Your role does not have to be characterized by love. It does not. It has to be characterized by respect. So wives, as you respond to the head of your home, as you follow him and support him and affirm him and use your gifts to support what he's doing, by the grace of God, see to it that you respect him. In fact, do all you can to show ongoing respect to your husband. Now, I don't want to teach you how to suck eggs. You're going to have a much better idea of how to do this than I am, but here's a couple of ideas. And I'm a bloke, so at last I can actually speak in the first person. I know what it means to feel the need for respect and to delight in respect. I know what that means. And here's a couple of things I just want to encourage you and appeal to you about in you in ladies. Listen, if you want to respect your husband, here's a thought. Then vigilantly study him. Really get to know him. Examine what he is like. And where you find things that are in his life and character that you love and you respect and that are godly, communicate that to him. Tell him. That greatly respects a husband. You know, half the time I meet husbands and they've been married even a length of time and you say, listen, how do you think, the way, how do you think your wife feels about you? And they give me about five things that they've got to grow in and change in, but they're unaware of anything that they're doing well. They're just aware of all the things that need to change. Let that not be the case in this local church. Wives, respect your husband. Talk to him and communicate to him. Nagging your husband is never going to cause him to be the man that you want him to be. It never will. Showing him respect and starting to applaud him and affirm even the leans that he's making in his life for God's glory, he will then want by the grace of God to be the man that you want him to be. Two very different ways of going about the same thing. Ladies, you need the husband's affection and love. That's why I was communicating to them last week in the way I was. Your husbands don't necessarily need that. They need your respect. They need to know you're bothered about them, that you affirm them, that you want to honor them in their lives. That is what we need. So vigilantly study them. And having perceived traits worthy of respect, communicate it to them. And also motivated by a biblical view on your husband, i.e. that he really is your primary pastor, that he is your head as biblically defined, that he is the one that will one day stand before God and present you to God and give an account for how he's led you. On that premise, make sure you communicate to him a lot about your life then, about your decisions, about your concerns about your dreams, about the things that you don't think you're doing very well in. Make sure that he becomes a primary source of counsel in your life. There's nothing more grieving than for a husband when he thinks, you know what, my wife just never talks to me. She talks to her mum. I have no idea what she's thinking. She just doesn't communicate to me. What that screams to him 
is she doesn't respect me. She doesn't want me. I just don't fit. Or when you find out from a husband that the wife's best friend is just another lady and that's where they spend all their time and the husband has no idea what she's thinking about lots of things. Ladies, don't do that. That disrespects the head of your home. Engage with him. Understand he is your head. He is your pastor. He is your primary counselor. So talk to him and ask him (coughs) and bring him into your life. Here's a few questions that you can ask him. It's only fair to give you a few questions to ask your husband. Last week I gave him three questions to ask you. There's no need to tap him on the leg quite now because he hasn't. But maybe you could do it this week together. So number one, ladies, if you knew I wouldn't become angry, how would you honestly evaluate my submission to and support of your leadership? If you knew I wouldn't become angry, I'm assuming we have no angry ladies here, so it's very unlikely. How would you honestly evaluate my submission to and support of your leadership? Number two, what is one specific way I can grow in my support of your leadership? What is one specific way I can grow in my support of your leadership? And then number three, what are things that I could do that would communicate my respect for you? What are things that I could do that would communicate my respect for you. Find some unhurried time. Sit down with the head of your home, your pastor, and ask him. Ask him. And listen. Listen to what he says. Start to engage with him. And start to let him lead you in a way that he's called to for the glory of God. So do all you can to show ongoing respect to your husband. And that's going to help to cultivate a submissive heart towards him. Listen, in this three-part series on marriage, as it comes to an end, I trust that you, like me, have been both inspired and sobered. Because that's the way I feel. I feel inspired and sobered. I mean, this is without question a grand design, is it not? This is an incredible design given to us by God. It has, a pattern, it has a purpose, a purpose that by God's grace, a married couple, by the grace of God and for the glory of God, would reflect Christ and the church to an onlooking community and to an onlooking culture. That is a profound mystery, but a profound statement. And it has a pattern. Men and women equal in value, in dignity, in ability to reflect the Godhead, but very different in roles as they do that. Very different in roles. Husbands, to lead your homes in sacrificial love, to lay your lives down for your wife as you lead them and serve them and care for them. And wives, to affirm and support that husband's leadership as he seeks to lead you. That's how Christ and the church operate. That's how we're called to operate in Genesis 2. Paul is pulling us all the way back to that and saying, let it be so then in your marriages for the glory of God. And my prayer then at the end of it is simply this that in regards to marriage, that every one of us in this room and for every one of us in this room, that right thinking really would lead to right living. Folks, if you're single and you desire to be married, that's good. And I'll be praying for you in that. And by God's grace, I pray that you would find a partner, a spouse. But as you prepare for that day, I want you to understand that this design for you is a call to prepare. 
It's a call to prepare not to engage in some cultural understanding of marriage, but it's a call to prepare to be the married husband or the married wife that you're called to be as biblically defined. So prepare for that day. Don't wait until the ring is on your finger to decide what leadership is, guys. And ladies, don't decide until the ring's on your finger. You're not going to follow everything he ever says. That's not going to help. Start to utilize these dispositions of heart. Even in courtships, we want to start to utilize these dispositions of heart as we prepare to see whether the Lord would have us marry this individual. And in the meantime, folks, as you're preparing for that, singles, do all you can to affirm and exhort and encourage the married folks that are in your groups and in your lives. You know, I think it's one of the myths of Christianity that married people are just uninterested in what singles think about their marriage. Who said that? Where did that come from? You know, like, to be honest, some of the best counsel I've had is from single brothers when they say, hey, just notice the way you communicated to Emma there. Do you think that was a bit harsh? Or I don't respond with them. Look, pal, if you had a wife, you'll realize it's a problem. That's not going to be helpful. <laughs> you just say, thank you. And you're right. So single brothers and single sisters, don't think that when marriage comes up in life group, this is a time for you to sit out and <laughs> it's not me. No. Encourage, exhort, hold people accountable, ask questions where appropriate and where invited, and do that. We're a family. It's part of the way you serve this family. And I thank you for that is your example and that is your desire. Married, if you are married, let us be the men and women the husbands and wives that God has called us to be. If you've seen yourself in the mirror of God's word over these last three weeks, then that makes at least two of us. Let's not go away then making no changes. Because a man is blessed in what he does, not in what he hears. You're not blessed right now. You're not blessed at all. You've just heard a message. You're blessed in what you do. So if you're married, I want to encourage you, review this material again. I know we've been through an awful lot in three weeks, but review it again. Take your time through it. And where you see yourself in the mirror, go away and make some changes. And let us then be the husbands and wives that God's called us to be. So Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift that is marriage. Thank you for the gift that is family. And Lord, for all the singles that are in the church, Lord, thank you for them. They are a gift to this body. And there is no sense in this church of a class system of married with children, married, singles, teens. Lord, we're family. We're equal in worth, equal in value, equal in dignity, equal in our ability to reflect you. And so, Lord, thank you for our singles and the way they encourage us and communicate their affection for us. And, Lord, we do pray for them that if they desire to get married, that they would find a spouse. Lord, I thank you in advance because you are good and you are sovereign and you can be trusted. You can change things in a moment and bring people into our lives who we would have never imagined a few weeks ago because you're good. And so, Lord, if there is a desire to be married, would you answer that with the gift of marriage? And Lord, for those of us that are married, help us to be the people you've called us to be. And would we then reflect in our communities and cultures Christ and the church. For your glory, Lord. Amen.